Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. One of the best things about working with the American Association for Physician Leadership is the people I interact with. This podcast allows me to speak with some remarkable and inspirational individuals. Physician leaders working to improve our healthcare system gives hope. Prepare to meet one of those extraordinary physician leaders next on Sound Practice. My guest today is Elizabeth Garner. Dr. Garner is the Chief Scientific Officer of Farron Pharmaceuticals. She's also president of the American Medical Women's Association. Dr. Garner, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. By anyone's estimation, you're, you're a physician leader, and I'm interested in your career path to becoming a physician leader. Could you describe a little bit of that for me, please? Sure, of course. So from a pretty young age, I, I was interested in the medical field. I had a fantastic pediatrician that was really a role model for me. So, you know, definitely I, I, I saw myself uh, as a physician, at, at, you know, by the age of 12, I think I was, I was, other than thinking about being a pilot, that was the other option. But um, so went to medical school straight out of college. Uh, my, my mother uh, was a Peace Corps volunteer and a very strong advocate for women. And uh, I also went to her alma mater, Mount Holyoke, which is a women's college. So by the time I was, you know, sort of hit medical school, I was already thinking about women's health and um, aware as a woman myself, but also as someone who was born and raised in Nigeria, very much aware of many, many unmet needs in women's health. So for me, you know, going to medical school and becoming a doctor, I knew I had that, a great opportunity, right, to make a difference. So um, I never expected though to uh, end up being in the pharmaceutical industry as a sort of physician leader in the pharma industry. That was not on the on the radar at all for me when I uh, entered medical school and actually even several several years post-medical school. You know, I went through OBGYN training. I was a, a, I did a fellowship in GYN oncology. So I think at that point I saw myself as really being a clinician um, for you know, the rest of my career, but realized fairly quickly actually, once I was done with my training that there were a lot of unanswered questions, you know, as a good example, I, I was frustrated in the ovarian cancer realm, which is where I spent a lot of my time as a GYN oncologist, that we just didn't have adequate treatments, right? And so I found myself going, you know, doing all these surgeries, I'm, you know, doing these really big operations on women with ovarian cancer, and then it would come right back, you know, despite my perfect operation, you know, I thought this is not okay. We need, we need better treatments. We need targeted treatments, which I was already thinking about, interestingly enough, way back then before really targeted therapy became really a thing in oncology. Um, but, you know, I wasn't necessarily doing anything about it. And then got an email from Merck basically saying, hey, we're looking for a GYN oncologist. Would you be interested? So that was sort of the, the turning point, um, going to Merck and interviewing and realizing, wow, you know, this is where all the really, really interesting research is happening. Uh, so made that leap into industry about 16 years ago. And then I think I also realized fairly early on 
in industry that I recognized some of the leadership qualities that I didn't even realize I had, I think, um, but was very interested from the get-go that I really wanted to kind of climb up that ladder and be one of the people making really big decisions. So in order to do that, I realized also that a company as large as Merck, and that's years and years and years of waiting around if you want to sort of work your way up. So I'm now on company number six in my 16 years. Uh, and in this role that you described, right, as the chief scientific officer, being involved in a lot of decision making and strategy and, you know, sort of really sort of being the one or one of the people, I should say, not the one, but one of the people that sort of, you know, directs where we're going as a company, right? And so that's sort of been the journey. I think uh, it's been amazing. I, I don't think I'm done yet. I don't know, you know, sort of, you know, but I think there's more to do, especially in the women's health space, right? There's there's, there's so many, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but the huge unmet needs in this area. Um, you know, I would love to have more opportunities to, to get down into the science and, and figure these things out for women. As you know, this is the podcast of the American Association for Physician Leadership. Yeah. Now, I'm interested, what changes have you seen in physician leaders over your career? That's a very interesting one. I think that, unfortunately, actually, I think that physician leaders, at least at the moment, are feeling disempowered in many ways, right? I think, you know, if I think back to medical school, we didn't really get taught anything about leadership. That was not a part of the curriculum really at all. It was all about just learning the the diseases and the medicines and, you know, sort of that was kind of really the focus. And for me, what that's led to is that, you know, as, fish, as physicians sort of move up, if you want to call it that, they haven't been able to maintain sort of um, really the decision-making on sort of how medicine is, is uh, like, like how medicine is done, right? How it's conducted. And so you, you'll see, you know, there used to be so many more, say, private physicians, right, who had their own private practices, and we're seeing fewer and fewer of those as they get eaten up by these bigger corporations. And I feel that, you know, physicians, like, as I said, have been very much disempowered. We don't, we don't see, I think, as many as we should in those top leadership roles. What I will say, though, sort of the positive side of that is I think that what that's led to is re physicians realizing they need to be leaders, right, if they want to really influence how medicine is, is conducted in the U.S., and so what that's leading to is, for instance, um, organizations like the American Medical Women, Women's Association is really, really focused now on we've got to get leadership you know, training. We've got to do this in medical school, in residency much earlier, right, in the career. So in the sense that, unfortunately, I feel like, you know, sort of all that had to happen in order for physicians to realize how important leadership is. So. I feel like the good news is within AMWA for sure, whereas that's where I'm spending most of my time with other physicians, I'm seeing that change happening. So what I'm seeing is younger physicians who are, for instance, doing MBAs. We're seeing a lot of those combination um, degrees that people, you know, the, the most people were doing in terms of combination degrees when I was training was like an MD and an MPH, for instance, which, which I did. But that's not leadership, right? So we're seeing more and more of sort of the younger generation coming up and realizing, wait, we need to 
you know, figure out this leadership team thing. So I'm very optimistic, I guess, as to where things are going for physicians. Well, that that ends the the question on a high note, which which makes me feel feel good. Um, maybe you could tell us briefly about the American Medical Women's Association. I think our our audience would be interested in in how people could become members and and so forth. Oh yeah, so AMWA uh, has been around for over a hundred years now. Um, we're really the oldest uh, physician, women's physician group in the country, maybe even in the world. And we're focused on really women physicians' lives, improving their lives, not only as it relates to their careers, but also the other aspects of life, right? Their personal, their uh, life, their mental health. We spend a lot of time thinking about that. And basically, overall, how do we make the lives of physician, women physicians better? So that's a real sort of, if you want to call it, pillar um, for AMWA. We, of course, are also very interested in equity. And if there's a topic that's really timely right now, it is all about health equity, right? The, the pandemic, we can talk about that if you want, but, but really exposed, I think, um, many, many issues around health equity, not only related to gender, but race, right? So AMWA is very focused on that. That's another pillar, basically, of the organization. And then we're also very focused on women's health, right? So improving the lives of women as well from a health standpoint. So not just physicians, but also patients, right? So, so it's really those, those main components. There's a lot of other stuff that AMWA does. We've got a really powerful, uh, very active advocacy committee that, that does a lot of advocacy related to some of the questions you were asking uh, uh, around, you know, talking about, you know, dogs and all those other things and, you know, what's happening in the reproductive health space and the threats, I think, that, that we have. AMWA is very focused on that. So, our advocacy team is is really incredible. They, they they're quick, very quick to jump on you know um, new legislation or things that are coming out and and you know sort of really um, we have a presence there. So uh, actually at the beginning of this year we got a letter straight from Joe Biden um, you know really congratulating AMWA for the work that it's doing in that area. Um, and then members you know we are we are very very open uh, in terms of the membership. You know there's really no requirements necessarily. Uh, you know, we have uh, members who are not not physicians. We, of course, are, are very open. We've got a very, very large um, pre-med division. So these are people who are thinking about going into medicine, a very large um, medical student division, um, very active. We've got a residency division that is not as active because they're so busy being residents. Um, and then, of course, the the uh, established physicians. So a lot of pieces to to the organization. But all in all, I think that, um, you know, these are passionate women. I think one thing I really was very excited about when I joined AMWA was, you know, the connections um, that, that women physicians are able to make with each other as members of AMWA. So just a great organization. We have a fantastic executive director Eliza Chen, you may have spoken to, who is uh, who's been with AMO for many, many years. She's actually my classmate from medical school, so we go way back. Um, but she's just, you know, her passion and her her, you know, dedication to the organization. I think is one of the things that really makes it great. Very nice, Dr. Garner. You wrote a chapter in a book, "Lessons Learned: Stories from Women Physician Leaders," and that was published by the AAPL last year. 
Can you tell me how you became involved in the project and a little bit about the book? Yeah, so this book I think was fascinating. It was just a wonderful collection of physician leaders from all sort of all of the various aspects of medicine, right? So um, folks like me who are in industry, uh, as well as, of course, practicing physicians, as well as, you know, sort of a nice age range of sort of people earlier in their careers to later in their careers. And um, basically, I got involved actually through AMWA, right? So this, I think, um, it was actually Eliza that I just mentioned, the ED, that, that was asked to sort of think about physician leaders and asked me to participate. And I was really excited about it because, you know, I think traditionally when people think about physician leaders, naturally, you know, they think about people who are actively practicing medicine. And one of the things I'm trying to do, even within AMWA, is kind of broaden that definition, right? We've got physicians who are doing all kinds of things, right? All the way from, you know, being in the uh, insurance industry, right? Or working for CVS, right? Being the, the medical director, uh, you know, or chief medical officer for, for you know, large pharma uh, pharmacies, um, you know, we've got physicians who are working for sports teams, right? I mean, there's physicians really sort of everywhere. And I think, you don't we don't necessarily think about that when we think about, you know, um, that sort of definition of a physician. So one of the things I really liked, like I said, about the book was sort of included a wide range of, uh, of individuals and the stories. I mean, I think what was so great about the authoring of the book was you know, just really sort of helping those of us who sort of, you know, who who contributed to really think very broadly, right, about across our entire career and to think really about sort of what were those early influences that led us to, you know, sort of decisions that we've made or, you know, what the path that we've taken. So, yeah, it was it was really an amazing book. And, and uh, I know I know there there will be more of these coming. Right. So I'm really excited to see what what comes next. In the book, Lessons Learned, you write of a childhood of really world travel. And I'm interested, does international travel impact the practice of medicine? Well, I, I would say I think so, yes. Um, you know, I think it's easy for us to get very focused in not even just the U.S., but sort of our little piece of wherever it is that we we work. So, you know, what we see, what the patterns are and and uh, kind of what the unmet needs are too, right? So, you know, if you live, say, in Montclair, New Jersey, let's say, right, and you're a reasonably wealthy, you know, corporate, whatever it might be, right, you're going to have a very different view of what medicine is about when you go to see, say, your primary care doctor or so on than someone who lives in, I don't know, Tennessee, for instance, uh, you know, in a in a rural area, for instance, where they barely got, you know, um, access right to a physician for miles and miles and miles. You're, you, there's going to be a very different view on health, right? Because naturally, in those environments, uh, you're going to have different problems, right? It's in those places, re remote areas, uh, areas that are underserved, where we in the United States actually look more like, in many ways, the developing world, sadly. Mm. But I think it's, it's those, it's, it's the being able to, to get around the world and see what the issues are, how medicine is delivered, 
that really helps you to understand and put into perspective, I think, what we have here in the United States positively, but also some of the negatives, right? Um, sure. You know, around the world, most people have coverage, right? Um, just as citizens of companies and uh, countries, and, and we don't have that in here, right? So and that that has is for me a major uh, difference as to how you know how people interact with the medical system. So yeah, absolutely. I think that you know traveling around the world and seeing how things are done is definitely impacts the way physicians think. Are leadership opportunities more available to female? Physicians in non-clinical settings? That is a great question. I I just actually gave a talk about a month and a half ago, something like that, around leadership and what I think is a need for more women to not just physicians, just all women, but for more women to be at the top, right? So from a corporate perspective, but also an academic perspective as well. Because at the end of the day, somebody's gotta be kind of the final decision maker, right? So whether it's a, an investment firm, right? Um, you know, you might have a woman who's at a certain level that sees a company that has what she thinks is a great investment, but then takes it up to the top and nope, right? It doesn't happen because the guy at the top you know, may not know the first thing about women's health and why there's such an unmet need. So I, I talked about, you know, we need women in all parts of the industry. And that's to your question, right? Um, Non-clinical, we need, you know, leaders in investment. We need women leaders in pharmaceutical companies. We need women, and I'm talking really at the very, very top. So like CEOs, basically. We need a lot more women who are heads of boards, right? boards of pharmaceutical companies. I would say from the research that I did, I think to a degree, yes, uh, there are more opportunities, I believe, for women to be in leadership. There's not a huge difference, though, if you look at the very, very top. So the CEOs and the heads of you know, academic medical centers, there's still not many women at the top. So when you're talking about the really, really top leadership positions, I would say it's probably not that different for clinical versus non-clinical. We're still struggling, I guess, is what I would say. Let's shift gears a little bit. Last summer, the United States Supreme Court released its decision in the Dobbs case. Um, the decision impacts the, the practice of medicine in, in many states. We've also seen state legislatures pass laws impacting how physicians practice. Are we seeing an erosion of physician authority and autonomy? Yes, I would say that we are. It's uh, really troubling to see legislators, many of whom know very little to nothing about women's health, and certainly very little to nothing about women's reproductive health specifically, making decisions, right? And... And, and making very broad decisions that in my mind don't necessarily really, really think about, um, you know, or, or taking the time really to think about what the ramifications are, right, of decisions that they're making. So it's sort of after these decisions are made that 
all the complicated situations, right? That, whoa, wait, we didn't think about that. So, you know, what happens with a 10 year old, for instance, who was raped, you know, like how do we manage that, right? So it's very, very concerning to me. And yes, I think that, um, you know, the fact that legislators believe that they should be the ones to make these decisions without that, that critical background is very concerning. And I do think it erodes the power. Now, this is where I think organizations like AMWA come in, right? We need to advocate. We need to really be active in these discussions and, you know, push back, right? Um, and it's, it's not a fight in my mind. It's a discussion. It's, it's you know, like, let's talk about this, right? Uh, with legislators, let's, let's just, let's talk it through. And that's where I think that, um, you know, we need definitely physicians to step up and sort of take back, I think, some of that decision-making power. We mentioned earlier, Dr. Garner, that you are the chief scientific officer for Farin Pharmaceuticals. Can you tell me about Farin and your, your work there? Sure. So Farin is a global company, right? Um, actually headquartered in Geneva. It's a privately held company as well. So unlike many pharmaceutical companies that are public or publicly traded, uh, Farin is private and actually has a single owner, right? So it's the family that, that founded Faring over 70 years ago is, is you know, it's sort of the, that generation of the family that, that continue to, to actually own uh, the company. Um, so that makes it, at least for me, having been, this is the, of those six companies that I mentioned earlier that I've uh, worked for, Faring is the first actual company that's, that's a privately held. So I'm used to the public companies where, you know, mm-hmm. Everything that happens has got to be a press release and, you know, all that, that, that pressure, right? So one of the nice things I think about Faring is that the fact that it's privately held and that, you know, um, not everything needs to be sort of, a, you know, like, oh, my gosh, we need to let the investors know, you know, so that's, that's a big difference. Um, the global aspect of Faring, I think, is really interesting as well, right, because we, we all need to, you know, we need to work together. And I think Faring does that. Uh, well, I think we are, it's a growing company though. So of course, as with any company that's growing quickly, um, you know, there can be challenges, but, you know, as it, as it goes, I think, you know, the understanding that, that it's a global company and the fact that we need, need to work together is, is I think a great thing. Um, it's very interesting because as we were talking about, you know, sort of internationally health is different, right? So, for my colleagues in Copenhagen, that's where a lot of the research and development happens, um, where they've, you know, they've got health care, right? They've got health insurance, they're covered. They don't see some of the unmet needs that we see here in the U.S. So those are discussions are always really, really interesting, right, around what the priorities are for, for the company. And I think I, I love those discussions. I love the strategic decision making. Um, so Faring is very focused on reproductive health that's that's really the i would say the core business that's what pairing is known for if you were to um sort of poll physicians in the us most of them if if they know fairing they'll know it for the for the um reproductive side of things so infertility mainly that's where most of our our products are and then um we also have products in the gastrointestinal space as well as orthopedics 
And then uh, those are those are marketed products. And then most recently, what was has been super exciting for me in this you know first year of being in the company is we had two FDA approvals in at the end of 2022. So November, our microbiome product called Rebiota was approved. This is a product that is uh, to be used for prevention of recurrent what we call Clostridium difficile, which is a terrible abdominal infection. And so that was super exciting. And it's really, yeah, to prevent the recurrence. And then the other product that was approved in December, so a month later, amazing, is a product for the treatment of bladder cancer. So, you know, we've got sort of these really kind of different areas that we're working in, which can be a challenge, right? Um, Sometimes it's easier to have sort of one focus and that's what you're good at. But I think what's really exciting about these new products is a great opportunity for for folks at Perry to learn about these new areas and and develop the expertise, right, as we we go through. So it's a very fast moving company um, and really growing. That's exciting time. Well, congratulations on the the approvals. Dr. Garner, is our is our time together comes to to an end. I um, would like to have you give advice to physicians based off of your career and your your leadership uh, for new physicians that may be listening to this uh, podcast. Any words of wisdom? Certainly, I'm a big believer in following your passion. There's no doubt I've done that over my career. And what it does mean is, you know, at times having to make changes, right, to follow sort of, um, you know, to follow that passion, right? So, but I've, I've been very, very lucky that I've been able to really stay focused in the women's health space through all these years, right, over 16 years in the industry, um, as well as obviously my clinical work. So it's been, it's been really great to, to sort of recognize that passion, find out what it is, and then follow it. Um, I think change is a huge, huge one for me. I've been willing to make changes to take the risk uh, in in many instances, actually, right? So I switched residency programs way back. That's almost unheard of, right? People start in in a residency, you know, I started as in in internal medicine. I switched over to OBGYN. That was a really tough thing to do, but it was, you know, it was risky. But I did it because I realized my passion there was really, really to focus on women's health. Um, So, yeah, be willing to take risks, make changes. Speak up, I think, is critical. Right. And that can be hard to do as physicians, especially women physicians. I think it can be hard to to, you know, speak up, say what you think. Right. Let your let your opinions be known. I think for younger physicians, that can be tough, right? When you're in training, you feel like, you know, I I shouldn't really say anything. I encourage younger women physicians in particular to speak up when they see, you know, things that perhaps they believe shouldn't be happening, for instance. Advocate for yourself. Um, I think really important to pull others up, right? Um, You know, I get, as you might imagine, a lot of requests to speak to people about their careers and they want to make a move and, and, Although it's it's it can be challenging to fit that in, I really try to um, to be able to give advice on on careers. So I think we owe it to you know the folks coming behind us um, to do that. And I want to go back. I think for me, it's 
all about my passion. I mean, I, I really, I think about it all the time, right? And I try to make sure that whatever I'm doing, whether it's, you know, being the president of AMWA, as you said, I want to be sure that it's, it's, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm doing to sort of help the organization is focused on what are my passions? What do I, where do I think the unmet needs are? Um, yeah, so I think those would be the, the major points of, of, uh, of uh, interest and, and advice. Great advice. My guest has been Dr. Elizabeth Garner. Dr. Garner, thank you for being on Sound Practice. Thank you. This was so much fun. I appreciate it. My thanks to Dr. Elizabeth Garner for her time and insights. Her career should inspire other physicians. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, that man Robin went for Kapow.